This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that believes that if you want to fight with any one of us, you've got to fight with me. We'll get to why that's relevant in a second. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is Dr. Anirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. Good day, Captain. How are you? I'm exceptionally well. Mate, I talk to you, I refer to you as Dr. Anirban Mahanti, and I do that for two reasons. One is because you are officially a doctor. Secondly, because I call you Doc, and it gives us some reference. This isn't scripted, by the way, so I haven't, I haven't cued you for this. Yeah. But yeah. tell our listeners why you're a doctor and what your doctorate's in, just for fun. Oh, okay. Oh, so I get to actually talk about myself. You do. Go change. For it. Wow. Um, well, I'm a, um, I have a doctorate or a PhD in computer science. Right. Uh, back in the day, I worked on uh, some uh, video streaming ideas. Okay. A long, long time back. Video streaming ideas? The kind of Netflix of... Kind of Netflix. You could, have, you could have found a Netflix. Is that what you're telling me? Oh, well, maybe. I could have done maybe Netflix and uh, YouTube. And I missed oh, a lot okay. of things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I did. I worked on uh, video streaming protocols and I worked on uh, a lot of machine learning things back in the day. You're a good man to know in this day and age. Uh, and I did some data science stuff too, uh, all in the context of uh, computer systems and computer system protocols. Very that's cool. A, that sounds pretty high tech, doesn't it? And then before joining us, you worked at NICTA. I did. So what Nic- did you do at NICTA? So NICTA is um, National ICT Australia. It no longer hey, well, ICT. ICT Information Communications Technology. Right, okay, okay, good. Yep, it yep. was a, um, a premier research center okay. set up in um, in Australia to mm-hmm. essentially. Um, sort of create a Silicon Valley type environment here. So, you know, you create new technology, develop new technology. Cool. So, you do the science and the research, and then you spin out companies. And uh, NICTA, as is, does not exist anymore, but it was merged with um, CSIRO. Mm-hmm. And the new unit is called Data61. Oh, I saw them in the paper today. Mm-hmm. They're on the paper. That's pretty cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, I, I saw Data61 and I thought, oh, it's one of those kind of. Funky new startup names. I kind of didn't even read it. Now you tell me I should have been paying yeah. more attention. All right, cool. That was kind of nice, uh, a nice timing. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, fools, that was just a bit of indulgence from me, but I, it's interesting because A, Doc is a very accomplished and, and capable man, and B, because as listeners, you might want to know where he's coming from, and that's kind of where, which is pretty for cool. The kind words. Pleasure. Mate, let's get on to the good stuff. Well, the better stuff, or the uh, worst stuff, or, you know. Uh, more interesting let's stuff. Let's just move on. Let, let's just call oh, it All right. So we're going to go through today, we're going to go through TPG's results. We've talked telcos a little bit over the last... Oh, a couple of weeks. We'll do it mm. again because TPG reported this week and the numbers weren't all that great. Mm. We're going to talk about Rio's buyback bonanza, a $3.2 billion buyback. Uh, Premier's Pajama Party, oh, Premier pajamas. Investments, the company behind Sneagle and Peter Alexander. Uh, we're going to give you a couple of stocks each just to kind of make it interesting and give you a couple of our best ideas. Dip into the full mailbag and you're going to get onto the high horse. So let's get started, mate. But before we do... I'm going to throw you one question that wasn't in any of that stuff. Okay. <laughs> According to 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. we are up for the mother of all housing crashes, are we not? Last Sunday, mm. they came out and said, I think their experts said 40% house prices were going to crash. Mm. It was a nice bit of doom and gloom journalism. Mm-hmm. Is it legitimate though? Or are they just kind of, you know, grabbing for the extremes in a rush to grab viewers? So, you know, I'm not a property bull and, uh, you know, noticed uh, you've noticed that before <laughs> and uh, you know, I've been bearish on property and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> what really matters is what's the probability of that event right. happening, right? And the sort of the 40%, like 40% uh, fall in property prices would 
basically be very, very bad for the economy overall. That would be bad, yes. <laughs> you know, people's consumer spending will probably like, you know, hit rock bottom. Mm. And, you know, this is like basically the, like the worst case recession sort mm. of environment. Mm. Is it likely? I would say no. Um, probably prices would likely fall, then they're already falling. And I think that's that's all true, largely because we've got very high, you know, debt um, to disposable income ratios here in Australia. We right. have sort of enjoyed um, the uh, the boom created by essentially low interest rate environment, right? So 10 years of low interest rate um, environment worldwide mm. has created this effect that all oh, money is really cheap and we can just borrow everything that we want to and we can refinance our houses again and again and again if we want to and then we can, you know, sort of, you know, dip into that equity and then spend that money and things like that. So I think... All of that has created an environment where there's a lot of debt and right. r- relative to wage. So wages are not going up as much as uh, you know one would like. Um, unemployment is still very low, but I mean, um, yeah. So I, I think we know it, the economy overall is in a good state, but in a rising interest rate environment with with tightening of credit. Um, I think house prices can't really go up that much. Um, so, yeah, I, I just don't think the worst case scenario is, is likely. Mm. I think the probability of that happening is very low. Mm. Uh, that's my take. But, yeah, I do think that, you know, the, the sort of the, you know, the golden, you know, golden blooming days <laughs> <laughs> of... Uh, of the you know the property sector where the properties really you know in, in giving you like fifteen percent <laughs> annualized returns or something like that um, is behind us, mate. That sort of considered response is not going to get you a job in sixty minutes. Can well, you give me something more sensational than that? Well, sensational. Property price is going to drop by. Okay, well, you know, I said a property price is going to drop by twenty five percent. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there we go. That's, you go. You know, That's what we're looking my, for. My, my bet with you is that from the peak to trough, the drop is going to be about twenty five percent. I think twenty five percent is. We what have, I have got claimed. that bet. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, and I think you know, I'm still I, confident I'm going to win that one. By the way. Yeah. So I mean, you know, that, that's my that's my. Let me put it this way: if if from peak to trough I get a twenty five percent drop, I would actually think that was great. <laughs> you know, and you'll have people coming for you with pitchforks I, I, in the streets of Sydney. That, so maybe that, we'll, that is uh, true. Make I, you anonymous I, at that I, point. I, I should I should hide. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on from that. Look, I, I I will say very quickly just to summarise. I think you're right. The risks are to the downside rather than the upside, given the rising interest rates, given the fact that house prices are already so expensive, and given we're spending a decent chunk of our income on repayments. Mm-hmm. Those things are all true. So I don't disagree with you. I think any, and you, you, you raised the word probability, that's the key one, right? So is it possible? Of course it is. Is it possible house prices fall 80% by definition? Anything's possible. Is it particularly likely? Is it most likely? I think you've got to be a pretty aggressive bear to believe that 40% is the most likely outcome. The rest is kind of headlines, right? Yeah. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, speaking of headlines, speaking of bad headlines, TPG Telecom, we'll probably, we'll, we'll try and make this our last telecom uh, commentary for, for a couple of weeks. We've done it a little bit recently. <laughs> there's a lot of telecom companies around. Right, and, and there's been a lot of news around. So, <laughs> exactly. So it was all about Telstra in the past. It's been all about some of the other mm. guys. This time it was TPG's turn. Mm. It reports out of the regular cycle. So most companies report mm. by August 30. Um, TPG came out this week and the results were... Ordinary, maybe, is even the best way to put it, right? So Mm. declining revenue, declining profit. And this from the company that has traditionally been the upstart, the disruptor, the kind of, if anyone's going to grow, it should be TPG in general terms. Mm. If it can't grow, well, firstly, what's happening with TPG? And then secondly, what does it mean for the rest of the market? Right. So, I mean, you know, 
you know, let me put it this way: most of the telcos are seeing declining revenue. Mm. <laughs> TPG managed like a flat <laughs> revenue, <laughs> so I mean that's that's you know, uh, uh-huh. given that the upstart they have been all these while. I mean, I think <laughs> in my view, in the telco world, they actually did well, at least in the large telco world. I mean, you know, if you've looked at some of the other results, you know, they've been pretty bad. So basically, their the, their line is we're not as bad as the other guys. Yeah, it's bad, but it's yeah. not as bad as the other guys. That's yeah, exactly right. 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 Um, and so earnings declined a little bit um, for TPG, I think three or four percent, something yeah. like that. I mean, the story here is the the same story that we have with all the other telcos, right? And that's mm. basically NBN. Mm. So NBN is basically squeezing margins out, right? And uh, uh, I mean, until the NBN sort of deployment doesn't finish, mm. this trend is going to continue. And it's not just NBN, right? So. In the mobile space, while mm. the number of connections keeps growing, we're all getting much, much more data for the same or lower prices. Yeah. There's so more competition, yeah. uh, more data, and, it's, and, and the expectation for more data as we go from 4G to 5G, there's going to be more expectation for data. There's a lot of competition again in that space. And too. it's not any cheaper to provide per megabyte or gigabyte of data, or at least not materially, right? So is it fair to say that prices are coming down faster than costs are coming down? So margins are being squeezed? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a fair characterization. I mean, one of the things to note with... Um, with telcos is mm. relative to the fixed sort of um, the fixed broadband market. Yeah. On the mobile ca- uh, scenario, the, the problem really is that, you know, the technology changes every few years. That's It's not the case of right. building uh, like the fiber pipes and then basically leveraging that for like 40 years, yeah. right? Here you have technology that changes every three, four, five years. And if you're, you know, you're building, you, you know, you're putting new equipment to support right. 5G, then maybe 6G. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I don't know how long this Gs will continue, but, you know, it, it, there, is, there is a point Um in terms of you know investments, right? So this is the, there is investments that need to be made, and there's only so many customers that are that are there to right, have, right, right. and there are so many people competing for those customers. So yeah, the prices I mean are being impacted, which are directly impacting margins. So costs are not going down; margins mm. are going down because of competition. So sounds pretty ugly. It is an ugly set. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, typically is probably the best of the lot, is yeah, my view. Yeah. Uh, but it's an ugly place to be right now, maybe. I will. I will add that uh, for full disclosure, Share Advisor and Motley Full Million Dollar Portfolio, the two service, two of the services I run. We sold our TPG. Our recommended members sell TPG this past Tuesday. Uh, on the result, of, on the back of that, just seems a little bit expensive relative to what seems to be a tough mm. future. Motley Full Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, let's go from let's go from uh, money disappearing or, or maybe declining <laughs> to a big, big, big number, mm. three point two billion with a B dollars mm-hmm. that Rio is going to hand around like candy at a birthday party. It's all coming back to shareholders. The shares jumped five percent on the news. So I want to do a couple of things here. I want to ask mm. you why Rio is giving money back, and then I want to talk about buybacks more generally. So just just give us the quick three minute version for those who own Rio or are interested. Why is Rio giving $3.2 billion back to its shareholders? Well, well, first of all, I mean, whenever a company is giving back money, basically it means that they don't really have better use of it, so they they want to give it back to the shareholders. Right. Right. And in this case, the Rio doesn't have... um, Good uses or do good use of the cash that extra cash that it's got, and mm-hmm. therefore it wants to give it back to its shareholders. And I think that's very reasonable and a sensible thing for them to do. Does the company ever want to give money back though, or does it feel like it has to? Oh well, I mean, it's a co- I mean, companies are ultimately owned by shareholders, right? And mm-hmm. shareholders want something out of the money that they have put into the company or the investments they've made into the company. Um, I think that's very fair 
thing to ask. And I think the other, there's a dynamic here, the specific dynamic. I don't know if you want to talk about the specific dynamic in, t- in terms in in terms of Rio. Mm. But I mean, in Rio's case, Rio's got franking credits, right? And it's got a diversified. Uh, ownership right mm-hmm. so it's got you know it's it's still listed is on on the london stock exchange mm-hmm. and it's listed here um now the the franking it could give out a dividend instead of giving out um or it could give it a special dividend or given increased its dividend with and added those franking credits to the dividend and given given it out right but that only helps its australian shareholder base it does not help it's um you know international shareholder base so right, they okay. they don't they don't get the benefit of the franking credit because we have a unique system with the franking credits right mm-hmm. so that's one so i think in in this context buybacks uh seem like a better strategy for okay. them um the other other view here is that i mean and this is something similar to what telstra has done in the past they can go and buy back the shares in the market by basically trading in the franking credits so they can give the franking credits to those people who really want the franking credit and can right. get the best value out of those franking credits right. and therefore buy the shares um, at a lower price than the at, at the market the market price mm-hmm. largely because um, for some users uh, or some uh, holders the franking credits are actually more valuable uh, because they can take full benefit of it you know it again depends on income and things like that uh, you know so therefore they they're able to buy it at a lower price than the market price which is something like you know they call the tender offer which has happened for a Telstra in the past. Right. So this is pretty cool. I, I really like what Rio is doing here. And I have to say, it kind of feels like the person getting screwed is the Australian taxpayer for what it's worth. Because it's, <laughs> it's kind of this tax-advantaged way of pretending that you... So normally, if you've got to give a dividend, the entire dividend is taxable. You get some franking credits on top of that. And yes, mm. you can use it to offset some tax, but you've got to pay the rest. Mm. In this case, they get to give a, a do a buyback, which is a combination of what they call a capital return. And that's a, a part of it. And mm. the rest of it is a massive, massive effectively dividend mm. with a massive chunk of franking credits on top of it, which means that they can afford to give. So if I'm, if I'm a taxpayer paying no tax or, or minimal tax in a, in a yeah. SMSF or something else, I can get a massive windfall from yeah. those, that tax dollars being returned to me. But if you're in a different circumstance, you don't buy the shares back, at, you don't take the buyback at all, and you get higher value because that money's been given out at a lower price than the current share price. It's kind of a, everybody wins except for yeah. the Australian taxpayer, as it turns out. Well, I mean, it's all fair legit. I mean, it's, oh, totally this, is, this is not illegal. No, so they're, uh, so they're following the books. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a question for, I More guess, the, uh, the Treasury Department to figure out what right, they're doing right. here. Um, I really have no view on that. Um, but but yeah, I mean, the share count, basically, you know, with the buyback, the share count goes down. So right. therefore, the earnings per share go up. Same profits, fewer shares. Fewer everyone shares, gets more of the pie. You know, everybody yep. gets more of the pie. So I mean, it, it, this is it's a smart way of doing it. And it it's really taking advantage of certain certain dynamics that are relevant to our uh, system. So Indeed. I think that's really good. Mate, I'll come back to your first point you made because I, I, when I think about Rio, here's my here's my challenge with Rio. Right, if you're a, if you're a um, if you're a software company or you're a retailer, you kind of use the same assets and try and generate more sales with them. So you yeah. you design a program once and then a whole lot of people buy it. That's kind of really nice. Yep. If you're a retailer, you got a shop, you buy inventory, you sell it, you make a margin. That's pretty nice because people consume the product and come back for more baked beans next week. That's a win. Yep. If you're a miner, you kind of dig a hole. And then the hole's kind of dug, right? Once it's once once you've taken all the iron or out of the ground or the gold or the copper or the zinc, you've kind of got to look around and go, so guys, where do we dig the next hole? And mm. you've got to go and either buy a mine, develop a mine, explore the mine. At some level, when a miner's giving money back, in some cases, it's actually better for shareholders than trying to find that new mm. hole because they don't tend to be great investments miners. But to the extent they are, when you're giving that money back, I kind of I worry about Rio's growth strategy. I worry if I think three and five years down the track, right, right now, as you say, they're getting pressure to give the money back. They don't think they can use the money well. That's fine. 
On the other hand, though, if a company is saying we legitimately can't find a way to deliver more value down the track, if I had $3 billion today and someone said to me, go and invest that $3 billion to create value, mm. I could buy a company, I could start a company, I could, I could do a whole lot of other stuff. If Rio can't find a productive use, a value accretive, to use the horrible terminology, use for that money, they can't put $3 billion to work and turn it into more than $3 billion in three, five, 10 years. Doesn't that make you wonder about Rio's growth strategy in general? Well, you know, I, I don't follow miners that closely, but, you know, I, I can theorize mm. <laughs> just because I have the opportunity to theorize. Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, here's, you know, my, my take on this is maybe what Rio thinks is right now mm. I don't have much use of the money. Mm. It's a big company with a you know, pretty good solid balance sheet. Mm. And the, you know, what I think for my big companies like this is when the the uh, when there's stress in the mining industry, mm. that's the best time for them to go and buy good assets at dirt cheap prices. Maybe True. not now. You know, there's, right, I don't right, see right. the stress. So maybe they're waiting for that. And and I think that you know, and it may, could turn out to be a smart. At that time, they could actually go to market and raise money if they needed to to mm. buy mm. that those assets that mm. they you know could. So I mean, I think that. To me, um, it would, would be fine. I mean, I'm, again, I'm speculating, yeah. but yeah, probably again, it, it shows that there's not many, there are not many growth opportunities out there, and that's probably true. Um, but then again, you know, we have a big desert in the middle of Australia. I mean, you know, there should be many opportunities there to dig <laughs> and find lots of valuable things. If, if only there was, uh, if only there was iron and gold to be found under every every rock. Lassiter's <laughs> Reef in WA still unfound. So for those of you who are budding explorers. <laughs> Go and uh, grab your grab your uh, grab your metal detector and head off into the middle. Of, don't no, don't don't do that. Mm. Don't head off in the middle of the outback. That could go very badly. Uh, suffice it to say, mate. Neither I'm not a, a big fan of mining companies either. I think it's probably one left on the shelf. But as I said, I am. I'm, I take your point about the waiting for a better time. Uh, at some level, that cash. I, I don't know. I just, I, I just worry that giving it back in what might end up in the fullness of time be a little bit short sighted. If they can use the three million dollars in five years' time, two years' time, eighteen months time if there's a, a market crash or a or yep. a fall in commodities prices and they kinda of look around and go didn't we have $3 billion around here somewhere? And the CFO puts him and says, yeah, we kind of gave that back. You know, uh, well, th- one thing I'll say is, that, you know, instead of having like, say, $5 billion on the balance sheet, if they mm. like, are left with like having like, say, $1 billion on the balance sheet mm. that they could, you know, utilize. Oh, buggers. And first of all, <laughs> I mean, the more money you leave on the sheet, I mean, the mm. more risk, I think that, you know, CEO might, you know, very few CEOs have the patience, say, oh, I've got money on the balance sheet <laughs> and I'm not going to buy anything. That is indeed right? true. I mean, there is this instant urge that i got to buy and, you know, increase my empire, that right? That is so true, mate. So, I mean, the taking away that urge is maybe the smart thing to do. I mean, you know, yeah, I hide, don't, the, hide the money. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say that's one of the things, without going on too much of a tangent, one of the things that when, when most people think about CEOs or company management, they talk about how good are they at selling, how good are they at marketing, how good's their operational skill, what IT mm. have they got. The the number one job of any CEO is is a phrase that kind of, again, is a little bit wonky called capital allocation. Absolutely. And, and it's... it's most most CEOs, most companies. Here's the problem with with most businesses, right? Most people are promoted because they're excellent at the the technical task that their team performs. I've seen so many sales managers of different levels promoted because they're the best salesperson. Yeah. That's fine, but the skills required to be a sales manager, managing a team of people, mm. is not the same as the skill required to be a really good sales rep. Mm. Similarly, the best CFO doesn't need to be the best, you know, bookkeeper. They mm. need to be the person with the best skill. But also, again, the combination of Absolutely. of the skill required. A CEO shouldn't be just your best salesperson, your best marketer, your best legal person, even your best CFO in the context of the financial accounting. 
the skill that is so rare, even among some of the better companies, is the ability to go and put money to work at really high rates of return. And that's mm-hmm. the capital allocation thing we're talking about. As you said, mate, keeping, keeping CEOs' hands away from the cookie jar is often <laughs> often the best thing we can do yeah. for, for shareholders. Um, but on the, on the flip side, if you find a company with a good capital allocator, that's normally a very, very good sign that it's a business worth owning shares in because they tend to be some of the better long-term investments in the business. Value stocks, market, stock market, index, share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Speaking of long-term investments, how do you like how I did that? I, I, seamless, mate. I seamless. Love, I, I'm getting good at this whole you're, podcast you're just thing. You're smooth. Oh, tell you what, I'll be on Triple M soon. Hey, uh, so, so speaking of long-term investments, as I was, um, Premier Investments. See, investments, investments. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. All right. Um, I like your pun here. It's good. Isn't it? It's a company behind some brands. No, not many people know the word or the name Premier Investments. Nobody knows that. Some of our listeners will have heard of. Billionaire rag trader. That's almost a patented term. It's someone who's used about Solomon Liu. Mm-hmm. And almost everyone has heard of either Just Jeans, JJ's, Peter Alexander, mm. or Smiggle. And particularly if you've got a tween mm. in your family, someone between, say, five and 13, you've heard Smiggle. You've probably got a truckload of Smiggle stuff in your house. Premier Investments reported their earnings this week. Mm. The headline result was down 20%, but that kind of masks what's going on. So give us a quick Cook's tour of, of Premier some of the highlights and lowlights of their business and some of the growth opportunities they've got. Right. So, uh, at a, you know, uh, the headline number had a 20% drop. That was largely- That's bad, right? That's, well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> well, it's, yeah okay. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not good, okay. but, but it's, uh, it's not as bad as it might seem. Uh, <laughs> right, la- largely because it, um, in, it incurred basically a write-down on some of the brands, mm. I think J- JJ's and mm. uh, I think Just Jeans and so on. So basically writing down the value of those things that, you know, we, we, the value we paid for these- uh, we now think they're not worth that much okay. and therefore had to write that down. Mm-hmm. That's basically a non-cash um, event. Yep. So uh, you pay 100 bucks for something five years ago. The orders come through and say, yeah. this business isn't anywhere near as good as it used to be. The earnings have fallen. You're not going to ever get it back again. The business is really only worth 80 bucks, not 100. Exactly. And so you have to, you don't have to put any, pay any cash out, but you have to, on the balance sheet, say, well, all right, here's my $100 assets now worth 80 yep. and you have to book that reduction as a loss on the P&L. Absolutely. Do I explain that okay? That is correct. All right. So, so, so that's, that's what happened? That's happened. And then, you know, the thing is that $100 was paid a long time back and right, this right. $20 is not being paid to anyone. <laughs> so they kind of, on one hand, they feel like they might have, they might have wasted the money back then. Which is true. Yeah. Well, which is true. But the, the other thing I will say for what it's worth though, you know, if you have this over a long enough time period, mm. the accounting rules aren't exactly perfect. I'm not going to go into the arcana of accounting rules because no mm. one wants to listen to me do that. Although I can later if you want me to just I can do a yeah, whole period, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I love that. <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do a one hour, yeah. one hour supplementary podcast <laughs> on the arcana of accounting rules. Yeah. Um, you can actually pay $100 for something 10 years ago. You can actually make 200 bucks worth of profit on that in the meantime. Yeah. From now moving forward, the orders might still say, but it's no longer worth a hundred bucks, even yep. though you've made money in the past. So it's not even that the original purchase was necessarily bad, yep. or even the initial purchase price was too high. Just that the carrying value on the books needs to come down come because down. of the future earnings of that business. So it's it's kind of one of those weird things where it kind of has to happen because the numbers have to balance at some level. Um, and maybe it's, plenty of companies have wasted ab- like proper absolute fortunes. Um, I, I can name half a dozen off the top of my head, but but. In this case, I don't know about Premier for what it's worth, but the, the accounting rules around write-downs are very, very strict and unbending. They don't necessarily reflect always the real value that's been gained from that business in the past or maybe even in the future. That's correct. All right. So back to 
Back to Premier. Back to Premier. Back to Premier. Back back to jeans and uh, smiggles. <laughs> I do like a pair. Just jeans is my is my jean purveyor of choice. I have. Yeah, to actually, say. I actually go and buy my Levi's from there. It tells uh, it tells our listeners just how unfashionable we are because Just Jeans isn't doing that well. Well, but I I just buy the Levi's from there, and and I only <laughs> buy them and, and I only buy them when you're on discount. <laughs> oh, you're killing the shareholders. So, so that's, that's what I do. All right, um, tell um, me the story. So yeah, so I think it's the it's, it's the jeans versus the Smiggle story here. Basically, you know, it's the tale of two sides. Um, they've got two brands, mm-hmm. Smiggle and Peter Alexander. Yes, um, Peter Alexander I think makes uh, these beautiful clothes for kids and teenagers. And plenty of undies too, and pajamas. Sorry, Peter uh, Alexander. Uh, yeah. Sleepwear, sleepwear, like sleepwear. Cool uh, so those two things mm-hmm. are rocking and doing are really, what? really well. Yeah. You know the way I describe sort of you know Smiggles is Smiggles is like the Apple Store for the children. <laughs> It's like, you know, when, you know, my daughter used to go there a lot and yeah. she's like, you know, one, this, can I have that? Can I have this? Can I have that? Uh-huh. There's such a repeat value, uh-huh. you know, they create other customers. So really, you know, so those two things are growing phenomenally well, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, you know, high double digits, like mm-hmm. you know, 20% plus. And on the other hand, they've got these other, you know, legacy brands like, you know, where we go. <laughs> or you and I go. So yeah, that's right. That, that's talking a the, lot. Yeah, lot, yeah. Lot to where we are. Putting, and, it, putting us massively in a category that yeah, yeah. no one wants to be a member yeah, of. Exactly. But yeah. So that's that's that category where it's just not growing, <laughs> which is you know, uh, doty, um, uh-huh. just jeans. I was going to make a comment about other people going there, but I'll just refrain from doing that because you know, that, that might be uh, problematic. Do, do. Um, <laughs> so just jeans and jeans. So those are not growing. But right. you know, if you if you forget all that, you know, mm-hmm. this as a retail is hard. Retail, fashion is fickle. Do you know what I like to say? Retail is the easiest business in the world to do, but one of the hardest businesses to do well. Yeah, exactly. Buying merchandise, <laughs> putting it on a shelf, selling it, like it's, it requires no skill, right? Yeah, no. But it's such a competitive market. Yeah. Fashion is so fickle, as, fickle. You, as you rightly say. So many people out there cutting prices, doing yeah. it really, really well. They say retail is detail, one of yeah. my favorite um, business cliches. And it's so true because doing it, like anyone can open a shop, put some stuff on the front, it's all fine. Yeah. Doing it well and over a long period of time, that's really hard. It's really hard. And that's exactly what I was going to say. There's, Sorry, mate. This, this company is... Is really good in operations. Mm. This is a company which knows how to operate. You know, it's got brands that's not, you know, it's, it's that steady. So it's just kind of, you know, cutting costs and managing that. Uh, I mean, the, the thing to look here is that if you look at on, on an, the, the sales went mm. up, what, 8%. Mm. I mean, 8% sales growth in, in, you know, in a competitive It's not region, bad, is it? It's pretty darn good, right? And what were the same stores, uh, you know, like-for-like like sales uh, were, were also, like, up. Like, what, 3 or 4% mm-hmm. or something like that. 3, 3.5% three if, if, uh, on a you know, constant currency basis. Mm. Um, so those are all really good. And I would say that this is a well-managed um company or, mm. or a company that manages a bunch of brands they, they do a good job the other thing i'll add is that you know the uh, the cost saving lemon you can only squeeze it so much mm. so so that's something to keep in you know keep in mind that you know that's not going to continue forever and ultimately the lemon is going to have nothing there to squeeze so um mm. you know that's the other thing to you know but again if you trust the growth that they're getting in peter alexander's and and smiggles then i think uh and some of the strategies that they've put in place like you know this in-store Stores, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a very interesting strategy, uh, you know, where you, you put up a little store inside a store, so you know it costs you less to actually run that store. Right, so they call it a concession, where you, you go to a Meyer or a DJ's or somewhere overseas, and yeah. you say, give me a small amount of that space. Don't, don't, uh, DJ's or Meyer, if you go to the perfume counters, they're all what they call concessions, right? So you get yeah. a small amount of space, you put your stuff in there, you pay Meyer a little bit for the rent, they, they yeah. split the profit with you. 
Super cheap, super easy to set up. Less risk, less upside to be yeah. fair, but but less risk and, and in theory a decent way to make business. Business, so, yeah. So I think they, you know they they are looking at different strategies. Mm. I, I have always liked this company in, in the retail space. I've thought they've done always done a good job. Um, yeah, and I, it looked like the market was reasonably okay with the results. It didn't punish it. Didn't wasn't really very happy either. But yeah, and we should say shares are up. I want to say almost. 40, 50% of the last 12 months. So to some degree, there was a lot of expectation built into the share price. Uh, Smiggle is a powerhouse. You, you kind of alluded to, but didn't quite mention directly. Growth in Asia, growth in the UK. They're going to try and go to the US and the rest of the world with Smiggle, partly with their own stores, mostly though in future inside other people's stores or other people's uh, retail distribution networks, which is just Smiggle could well be be massive. And, and that's still a – I saw a headline in the paper actually today saying people they should spin off Smiggle which I thought was interesting, but we'll see. We'll see where that comes to pass. Huh, that's an um, interesting idea. I should say it's a, it's a long-term recommendation of share advisors, so I'm a little bit biased, um, but happy to see it's doing doing very, very well. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, let's keep moving because we're, we're running out of time pretty quickly here. A quick stock sizzler, you've called it, which I love. Stock, I want you to give me two of your favorite stocks mm. and in a couple of sentences, tell me why. Okay, easy. So I'm going to pick two mostly software companies. Okay. Um, one of them is Elmo. Elmo is basically a- What, the Sesame Street character? Uh, so I love Sesame Street. Hey, so, Uncle. Hey, hey. Uh, I think uh, maybe no. in this podcast you mentioned- Three and a half. Elmo before. I would do all my names. So Elmo is a software provider for um, you know what they call human capital management, which is basically HR. Doesn't sound very Sesame Street, dude. It doesn't sound. It sounds very boring, but very important. It provides HR functionality. I think they could be a lot more attractive if they had the Elmo character as the logo for the for the. That is true. They don't. No. Is, yeah. But then they would have to pay someone. For it. <laughs> <laughs> Which All should right. not be good for the shareholders. I will stop interrupting you. Tell me about human capital it, management. It sounds so, a bit like a euphemism. So it's basi- yeah. So it's basically HR functionalities like, you know, okay. doing things like, you know, recruitment, or onboarding, learning, leave management, that's pretty payroll. Cool. Those everyone are all, needs that. Everyone needs that. Yep. So they, they target the sort of the mid-market segment, you know, companies which have more than, say, 50 to 100 employees and above. Okay. That's a large market in Australia. They're mostly focused on Australia and New Zealand. That's about, what, about 12,000 companies in that space. They've got about 1,000. Nice. They have a strategy of acquisitions. So they acquire, you know, what they call single point solutions. So if somebody has just recruitment, mm-hmm. they acquire that company, usually at a very good price, acquire the customers that come with it, and then basically do an upsell of their other modules that they've got, basically okay. increasing the value proposition of their solutions. I have a feeling you have a rhyming term for some a business that finds some customers and tries some other stuff. Tell me what that is. Find some customers. Uh, you're, 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 you've got a rhyming term you like to use. Hmm. I, you actually completely like you know floored me here. Sorry, I have no man. idea. I, I was land. Oh, there we go. Okay, okay. Hit, hit was, us, hit us. I was trying to avoid this term. Now go on. <laughs> okay, it's called the land and expand. There model. you this go. Is like, this is really, really, this is like the hot term. If you can't days. explain something in three words that rhyme, you're not trying hard enough, are you really? <laughs> land and expand. Tell me <laughs> what that is, man. So, Why am I so, doing okay. it well? Uh, well, land and expand basically means that you get a customer, you land them on, you know, one part of your software or one piece of your software, mm-hmm. and over time you try to sell them more of your software, right? right. So that's basically land and expand. Nice. Um, Hang on that yeah that's pretty clever good. strategy too right because once you've got a customer on board they're going to be more susceptible or more open to buying more of your stuff if you've proven yourself with one yeah hey i've got this other thing over here you might like how about you come and do the same thing yeah that's pretty cool that's pretty cool yeah and and they're doing very well on that front yeah so, so almost a buy elmo is a buy of uh, again full disclosure we recommended it in in extreme opportunities cool. um and it's an active buy recommendation that and you've had. done pretty well i want to say too on that one 
Yeah, we've done actually very well on that. We've got two recommendations, both up more than 100%. But That's good. That's good. I'll then, take that. And But we, but what we are saying is there's mm-hmm. a lot more upside here if you can think long term. So hang on, the shares have already gone up and you still, that's a topic for another day, I reckon. That's a topic for another Next day. Next week, we yeah. will talk about why you should buy even more when the share price has gone up. It sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but we'll hold that one over. Yeah. In the meantime, give me your second hot stock, the stock Sizzler. Okay, the second one mm. is a company called Red Bubble. Oh, okay. That sounds like a funny name. It's got nothing to do with bubble gum. It's nothing to do with red. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to tell you, mate. When I see a company called Red Bubble, my first thought is, oh god, another company with a stupid name. There's no way in the world I'm investing in that. It's obviously this kind of techie, cool kids thing. I, you know, it feels like a. Is it a cryptocurrency or something? Red Bubble. It sounds like it should be. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> so this is this is an interesting company. So this is basically what I'm, is it like a marketplace? Like think about marketplaces like Amazon or uh, eBay, but not quite okay. selling stuff. Uh, what, eBay, okay. well, they're not. Yeah. What what they're doing basically is they have a platform or a let's think of it as a website mm-hmm. where you, where an artist can upload a design. Okay. So an artist, an independent artist, uploads a design. Mm. Uh, so you can become an artist scout if you want to and upload your design there. <laughs> and, and then if somebody wants to buy a T-shirt or a mug or, you know, mm. well, many of the products, you know, home decoration with that artist's uh, picture or drawing, mm. they can buy that. And this basically, this company basically facilitates connecting these artists to these consumers. Okay. okay. So, so it's, basically, it's, it's basically a meeting place for consumers wanting... Um, so cool, cool kids, right? Not you and I. We're buying our Levi's, but someone else is buying something on Redbubble. Is that exactly, exactly. Right. It's for it's for those people. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's for those people. And, and you remember the people who are buying <laughs> Levi's. There is no growth there, right? There is that. There is that. <laughs> so, so this is basically a buying place for you know people who are buying non-branded, but you know something unique. And um, and over time, they've expanded the categories of uh, things that you can buy from them. So, you know, not just T-shirts, but you know mugs and decorations and other th- sorts of things. And um, this company is again growing very nicely. They're growing the number of artists uh, on the platform, growing the number of customers on the platform. There's nice and decent growth here. Uh, this co- and in, there's still a lot of the market to capture. So they're, they're in the US, they're in, in Australia, they're in parts of Europe, not in all of Europe. Mm. Um, they're nowhere in Asia, for example. So, so okay. a, lot of, a lot of growth opportunity. Uh, in is it, a, is, it, is it a big market opportunity? Well, I mean, apparels, for example, is as a whole, is a huge market, right? And this is a small company, so mm-hmm. you don't really need mm-hmm. it to own the whole market. It just needs to own a small piece of the market. And the same thing can be said mm-hmm. for, you know, mm-hmm. home decorations. The same thing can be said for, you know, mugs, mm-hmm. right? So is the market, market in cumulative for everything is huge. Okay. And, and for this company, you know, if you can acquire, if you can get a small piece of that market, you're doing well. The thing to remember is that it is not making these things, right? So the, the, the products are made by third party. Yep. It is just facilitating the meeting of these people. The meeting meeting of the That's cool, designers, okay. the product makers, and the consumers. That feels like a pretty attractive model. It's an attractive business model. It's a very capital light kind of business model. Nice. Okay. We like that. All right. I'm going to hold my two over next week, mate. Just keep people in suspense. Because we're running out of time. The Scotch Sizzler so we'll go will with, come next week. We'll go with Elmo and Redbubble. So give me the codes quickly. Elmo is? It's E-L-O. E-L-O is an electric light orchestra. That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. I can remember that Love one. That. And Redbubble. R-B-L. Redbubble. Okay, okay yeah. that works too. I can remember that those works. two. R-B-L, E-L-O. All right, good. At least it doesn't have a number to it. You hate numbers. <laughs> 
Phillips, Phillips' rule number one is never buy a company with a number in its ticket code because it means the company's trying way too hard. I just I, have to recommend one that works out. Oh, no, there, there, there have been a few. There are exceptions <laughs> to the rule, but the rule exists to keep people away from the rest of the crap. So, right. okay. for, for the record, I, I never just keep stay away from anything with a, with a number in the ticker. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, I'm going to um, just dip in the mailbag very quickly. We've got a couple of questions to answer before we wrap ourselves up. This one's from Natalie. And Natalie says, hi, Scott and Doc, which is, yeah, hi, Scott. Mm. Thanks a lot for the previous answer. We answered a question of Natalie's on the podcast a few months ago, I think I mm-hmm. want to say. Before I send another question, I just wanted to let you guys know we've been thinking about investing for a while before we came across your podcast. It was a few months of listening to you guys that tipped us over and gave us confidence to get started. So thank you. Well, that's very kind. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Natalie. We're glad we could help. That's that's pretty cool. We, uh, the Motley Fool is here to educate, amuse, and enrich. And so mm-hmm. if we're helping you learn a little bit and get started in the market and maybe have a laugh or two, we're doing our job pretty well. So let's get to Natalie's question because, you know, otherwise I could just give ourselves a wrap and I'm happy to do that, but mm-hmm. others might want to actually get something of value instead. We're trying to put together some forecasts of what our investments now will be worth in retirement. So we can know how much we need to invest yearly to get the results we want. Mm-hmm. She says, I know everyone says the market averages 10% a year, but it isn't exactly 10% every year like in our spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Understanding you can't give specific advice, and we can't, what would be the best way to model our market returns over a 30 to 40-year period? Thanks in advance, Natalie. Now, I, I'm going to say a couple things quickly. I love the fact she's asking about a 30 or 40-year period. Mm-hmm. Natalie, look on from her from her picture on Twitter, looks a little bit younger than you and I. Mm. Um, but hopefully hopefully she can even think about 50 and 60 years. Hopefully she's going to have, be an investor for life, and, and hopefully her investment will carry her well and truly into and right through retirement. But I love the fact she's talking in multi-decade periods. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Mate, 10% a year is the average, yep. but the years are a bit up and down. Mm-hmm. How can she model that in a spreadsheet to see how much they need to save? Well, I mean, if you're thinking long term, you just, you know, I think you can assume, like you can, uh, so <laughs> this is a hard question. <laughs> and, 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 and I mean, I'll say that, you know, historically, let's say it has been, been between 8 to 10%, mm. right? So you could model, you could assume that you're going to get on average, let's say even 8%, right? Mm. And you just, you just compound that over a 30-year period, right? That gives you a rough idea of how much money you're going to have. Take your current money, compound that at 8%. Yeah. And, you know, go to a 30-year period and that, you know, you know how much you have. Now, at, at that point, you, you can look at that value that you're going to get 30 years hence yep. and decide whether or not that money is enough. Again, remember that you have, you know, we have talked about this in one of our previous podcasts yep. about, you know, so let's say 4% is what you mm. want. If you have invested them in dividend-paying stocks, you could potentially get the 4% from the dividends. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's something that your service Everlasting Income, for example, does. Thank you. And... And and then and in that case you would not be then at that point mm-hmm. dipping into your capital or hopefully not dipping a lot into your capital if you can just you know sustain yourself from the dividends. Right. I mean that's one strategy. Yep. Uh, and I think that's probably what I would I would do. I mean, I like to make things. You know, I, I really like this question. It's thinking long term. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes you know the specifics are not that important. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to undermine the question, but but I, what I think is. I think the other way to think about this is can you how about saving as much as you can mm. and investing on a regular basis mm. there's a lot of fun in doing that mm. and just continue doing that yep. over the long term and compounding your money um and of course having a goal is great mm. so let's have a goal mm-hmm. but just continue doing that and do that for for your life and you know you enjoy learning about businesses and you in the process save a lot of money totally make it a game mm. Natalie I'm going to give you a, a another version of Doc's answer so kind of the same thing I, I get that you want to put a yearly number in place, 
the reality is that that 10% is kind of, it's the average of all those ups and downs anyway, already baked into the the average, right? So yep. on a yearly basis, if you want to know what your portfolio is likely to be worth in 2032, then maybe it's kind of tempting to want to say, okay, well, let's put in a plus 20 and a minus five and a plus four and a minus 22 and a, and a plus six and a minus eight. The end result is if the averages hold, if you're far enough into the future, no matter what numbers you individually use by year, the average is going to be roughly that 10% anyway by the time you get there. So yes, it's not going to be a straight upward curve. Um, but the, the reality is that if you just, you know, if, if I go, let me go backwards instead. If I went back a century and put the yearly numbers in, there'd be those numbers, plus six, minus five, plus 20, minus 13, plus 48, minus 26, whatever those numbers were, right? Overall, the average is still 10%. That's kind of the point. And so it actually kind of doesn't matter what numbers you use by year. If I was going to say, well, if I went back a century and said, how much will I, could I expect? I could look up each of those numbers or I could say, well, the average is 10, so I'll just put 10 in for every year. I'll get to exactly the same point. It'd just be a less bumpy line. And yep. so I get you want to be specific. I think it's awesome. I'm glad you're thinking about the volatility because that is super important. You are going to have years where it's minus 20 and you're going to feel terrible. Um, and you want to know that you're going to have a better, better, better times in the years ahead. But quite honestly, rather than trying to get too clever with it, and, and again, I don't, I don't say that condescendingly, but without wanting to get too detailed, the better picture is just over 30, 40 years. If history is any guide, you'll get roughly 10%. Just put that in the numbers and assume that's what you're going to get over time. Some years will be more, some will be less. The average will be the average. You don't need to be specific or clever. The other thing, if you want to just look at it differently, just throw any numbers in there so you get to an average of 10%. You can do it that way as well. But the compound return is 10, not just the average numerical value. Um, and that's really important. The compound growth is 10%. So that's how to, how to think about pulling it together. You like 10%. I just like saying it's 8%. <laughs> <laughs> 10 is the history, 10 is historical average. I'll take yeah. 10. Yeah. Uh, whatever the number is, same thing. Look, I, I agree with Doc. I, the only thing I would say for now to this point, Doc, is that I think at some level you want to know how much you need to have. And as much as you can is one thing. And that's for some people, that's great. Other people actually need or want to target so they can make themselves stretch. Yeah. Oh, I can only afford 100 bucks this month. But if you said to yourself, I'm going to find 200 bucks and they put it away now in advance, it's another way of doing the same thing. It's, it's easy to kind of convince yourself that you can't quite afford it this month. Um, some people like the, yeah. the, the need to put a certain amount aside yeah. to get there. So Natalie, I would say, assuming, assume an average of 10% per year every year, it's going to be roughly the same number over time. And that will tell you how much you need to put in your spreadsheet. That's true. All right, we are fast running out of time, mate. But one last one from Andrew, who sent us a question via email. Mm -hmm. He said, I have a question for the podcast crew. I guess that's us. Yeah. I'm wanting to get some exposure to the agriculture sector. Do you guys have any favorites in the sector? I'm struggling to find a good stock that's tempting me. Cheers, Andrew. All right, Doc, Ex agricultural sector, go. <laughs> okay. So number one is, and this might seem like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm uh, I guess, uh, not giving value to the question <laughs> or, or not doing justice. But my number mm -hmm. one point is that, you know, it's good to have diversification by sector, but it's not absolutely necessary to be in a particular sector. In other words, if there is a better mm -hmm. investment mm -hmm. in the software sector, pick that over the agriculture sector. That's my number one point. Uh, you know, so, so, so your first issue is don't, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, well, agriculture sector has a lot of other things, <laughs> a lot of variabilities that, you know, um, uh, that make it hard, right? I mean, you know, the rain could, you know, be bad for like, if you can have a drought like we have, and right, that right, could right. destroy the agriculture sector, right? Um, so the, there are all those issues one has to deal with that's number one okay. that said uh, <laughs> I, I will I will say that there are a couple of companies okay the second is that you could invest in companies that rely on output from the agriculture sector okay. so 
companies that make cereals and grains and you know things like that and oatmeal nice, okay, yeah. and stuff so yep. you know a company like freedom, so take the consumer angle yeah the consumer angle so freedom foods for example is okay. a company that's a recommendation on shareadvisor i believe um so that's that's a possibility or you could actually look at a producer like you know um yeah i'm not going to give any other names but <laughs> you 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 could, you could look look at other producers and you know right, if right. they have some advantages in terms of their products that they're producing then you could do that yeah um i like the consumer angle over just mm. going straight to the um to the, the agriculture producer. I like it. Mate, I'm going to, uh, we're going to wrap this up. I'm going to throw a couple of thoughts in on top of this one. I agree with you. I think, I, I, I really, really would encourage our listeners not to follow what I like to call the Noah's Ark approach. Mm. You don't need two of everything. And so, I feel like I need to have two banks, two miners, two retailers, two telcos, two software companies, two whatever else is. You don't need a Noah's Ark approach to diversification. I think, the I'm also not a very thematic investor. I wouldn't say as a general rule, hey, I need agriculture because I need agriculture. There's some of the best trends. Airlines are a great trend. I use this example all the time. If you'd have said to someone 40, 50 years ago, airline travel is going to go grow tenfold over the next 40 years, the first response would have been, I'm selling everything I own and buying airline stocks because mm. it's got tenfold, <laughs> tenfold. Even if profit halves, I'm still going to yeah. make a fortune, right? The honest answer is that the airline industry as a whole has lost money in total mm. over that. Not even, not, even, not even some companies, not even some years. In total, over the last 40-odd years, the airline industry has lost money because the, the sector simply, even though the volume of passengers is growing, the sector just never found a way to be sustainably profitable. Now, maybe that might be changing in the last couple of years for what it's worth. But up until now, if you'd have, you'd have lost a fortune, absolute fortune, even though you got the trend right. So you want to expose agriculture. The first question, as you've asked, is why? Um, I get the reason why. And I get that's worth thinking and looking around the sector to see if there is some opportunity. So I absolutely agree with that. Find a theme if you like. See if you can make money doing it. Those are necessarily different things, even if volume is growing. So I'd say that. Third thing I'd say is, and you kind of make that point, Doc, I think if you believe in the agriculture theme, thinking of ways you can make money from it are useful. Mm-hmm. I'll name a couple of other stocks. You've, you've covered food and foods. We mm-hmm. quite like it. It's a recommendation of ours. Um, Costa Group that mm-hmm. make uh, the farm berries in particular and other, other fruits. Avocados. Right, avocados in Australia. They're doing it in the Middle East. They're doing it in China. They're doing a really, really great job. I like Costa a lot. So agriculture, if you like it, that's one. I, I don't love agriculture generally, but I like Costa. Um, the third one I'll, I'll mention is rural funds groups. So you mentioned kind of the output of of um, of these companies. Rural funds is a, a farm landlord. Effectively, mm. they buy the land, they rent it out to people who are farming it, normally commercial groups, not necessarily individual farmers. Um, they've done a really good job of having a very diversified um, portfolio of, of property. So they do it with um, by geography, by industry. So they've got cattle and sheep and wheat and other things. They've got it in lots of different places around Australia. So you minimize the chance of a localized drought or a commodity-based concern. Um, and so if you're wanting some exposure, that's one way you can do it. So there's three names. You mentioned Freedom, I'll throw Costa and Rural Funds. They're all recommendations of ours. So we have some degree of comfort behind those stocks. Um, so if you do want them, that's where I'd go. I'd just be a little bit careful not to get too caught up, as, as, as you've said and I've said, in the concept for the sake of it. Just be, just be mindful that we're not, we're not investing in agriculture because it's agriculture. We're investing in it because we think the idea is, is useful. <laughs> Mate, I've gone well over time. Thank mm. you for bearing with us. And thanks, Phil, for listening. But that does wrap us up. Before we go, don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes and tell your friends. Surely they could use a bit of foolish straight talk as well. Don't forget you can get more from us by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with a whole nother dose of foolishness, including my stock sizzler. All right. Full on.
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.